Okay. Uh, today's going to be a little bit of a different message, but hopefully you'll get uh, something out of this. I don't know if you've noticed, but Christmas decorations are growing up, are going up earlier and earlier. Has, has anybody noticed that? Yeah. It doesn't happen now in December. Sometimes it's in September or October. <laughs> What's that? October, right? Well, I've been told that this is the reasons why, uh, that it actually started when uh, uh, COVID uh, came on the scenes and people needed to be, uh, just have something positive to focus on. So they started putting up their holiday stuff earlier. Also, some people were uh, afraid that um, the decorations wouldn't be there. So they started buying them earlier because they were afraid things wouldn't be in the store. So once they bought them, they put them up. But I want you to know this. This is the main reason, it seems like, uh, that everything going on in the world today and in the Middle East, gas prices, food shortages, and all that, it's made people think more about Christ, more about him coming as the Savior of the world, and also that he's coming back soon. <clears throat> so today, I thought we would take some time to talk about the first coming of Jesus at Christmas and contrast it with the second return of our king. So most people don't know this, but there are more verses in the Bible about Jesus' return than about his coming at Christmas 2,023 years ago. And most don't know this either, but the return of Jesus is called the blessed hope. It gives us hope no matter what's going on around us. So the truth is, if you're a Christian, you, you should have read the last chapter of the book, and you know that in the end, we win, right? All right, let's lift up our Bibles, smartphones, iPads, whatever you have your Bible on, and let's make our prayer declaration together. Say this with me. This is my Bible, God's holy word. This book is alive, and it's powerful. I read other books, but this is the only book that reads me. There are many opinions, but this is the only opinion that counts. Today, I declare by faith, I can do all it says I can do. I can be all it says I can be, and I can have all it says I can have. Today, I ask the Lord Jesus, the living word, to take his written word and personalize it for my life so I can leave here changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, the Gospel of John tells us the night before Jesus went to the cross, he said these words to his disciples. In my Father's house are many mansions, or many rooms. If it were not so, uh, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? In other words, it's a question. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now, this is the greatest promise in the New Testament since Jesus came and died and rose from the dead. So what I want to do this Christmas season is to start off by taking four physical differences between the first coming and the second coming, and then give you three profoundly different purposes of the two comings, all right? So let's get into it. First physical difference is this. The first time Jesus' arrival happened slowly. 
And that is because he came into the world the same way you and I came into it. He came by being born into it. We all know pregnancy takes at least nine months, and any woman who is a mother will tell you pregnancy is a slow, long, slow arrival. When you first get pregnant, I remember Lois being so excited, but also angry at me because it was unexpected, and <laughs> it happened. So she was, we, we both got excited, and then as time went on, she said, I just want this sucker out of me. I want it gone. <laughs> and that's the way most people feel. So Jesus came into the world slowly like we all did. This is what Luke tells us. Uh, this is none of your notes, but Luke 1, 31, 34, and 37 says it this way. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And then the angel said, and a couple of verses later, for nothing is impossible with God. So even though it was a miraculous birth, even though it was an impossible situation, it was a natural though, and it happened slowly over nine months and actually over uh, a few thousand years of prophecies. But next time, here's what you want to write down. Jesus' arrival will happen instantly. 1 Corinthians 15:52 tells us it will happen in a flash as fast as a twinkling of an eye. Now, a twinkle of an eye, uh, a twinkle is not a blink. A blink is about one-tenth of a second. A twinkle is the amount of time it takes for light to reflect on the back of your eye. And since light travels at 186,000 miles per second, that is a whole lot faster than a blink. In decimals, a blink would be 0.1 seconds, but a twinkle would be zero point with 47 zeros after it, and then the one. That's fast. Now, Jesus is not only coming back instantly, but the Bible tells us he's also coming back without a warning. Look at this verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.2. The day of the Lord will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but in the past, thieves don't announce that they're coming. They show up unannounced. Now, in our nation these days, they just show up, take what they want, and nobody does anything about it. But I just want you to know, that's not the way it is in other countries. And we want to be ready for and be prepared for what, for the unexpected, all right? So here's the second physical difference. The first time Jesus' arrival was very quiet. Uh, the TV cameras weren't there. The news reporters weren't there. Uh, there. There was no CNN, ABC, NBC, whatever. Uh, the Savior of the world just arrived. And that is why we sing, Silent Night, Holy Night. All is calm, all is bright, because he was born in Bethlehem, which was a small village. Scholars say maybe 300 people lived in that little town. So... Luke 11, Luke 2 through 11 through 12 says, the angels told the shepherds, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So there was no GPS in those days. So they had to give some specifics 
uh, about the baby and where the baby was and what the baby uh, was wrapped in so they would know. But there was probably not a lot of babies in Bethlehem in a barn wrapped in cloths and in a manger. But since there were only 300 there, it wouldn't have taken too long to find out where it was at. But the point I want to make is this. The first time Jesus comes, or the first time Jesus came at Christmas, people had to find him. People had to look for him because there was not this big announcement to everybody that the Son of God had arrived. So the first time uh, it it happened, he came slowly and he came unannounced and it was quiet. But you want to write this down. Next time, the entire world will hear it. The second coming of Jesus will be loud. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4.16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a loud command, with a shout of the archangel, and with great sound, with the great sound of the trumpet of God. Now, I don't know what all that means, except I know this. It's going to be loud. Yes. It's not going to be silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. It's going to be Holy moly, loud, unbelievably loud, and everybody's going to hear it. So they may not know it's Christ because we confuse a lot of noises these days, but it will be instant and it will be loud. Here's the third physical difference. The first time, a single star was seen in the sky. Matthew 2 tells us, the wise men said, we saw a star in the east and we've come to worship him. So these wise men were scholars and astronomers. They are probably from Persia, which is modern-day uh, Iran. Uh, they see this single star in the sky, and they, uh, it leads them to Bethlehem. So we know it was just one star, and not everyone saw it. But the next time, you can write this down, the next time our king comes, Jesus will light up the entire sky. It won't be a single star. It will be better than the 4th of July. I was, we just watched the, uh, uh, what, what is it we've been watching? Uh, Lord, Lord of the Rings. And we've been watching Lord of the Rings. And at the beginning of that show, there's a fireworks display that's unbelievable. And it'll be better than that. It will be the light show of, in the heavens like we've never seen before. Matthew 24, 27 says, just, for just as lightning flashes up the entire sky and everyone can see it, so will be the return of the Son of God. Nobody's going to miss this. How many heard the thunder and lightning about 10 days ago, somewhere in there? It was awesome and scary at the same time. It was scary because I was watching a football game, and we were afraid the power was going to go out. So anyway, Jesus is telling us that this is how it's going to be when he comes back, only much greater than it's ever been in the history of of the world. Matthew 25, 31 says this, that uh, when I come back in all my glory, all the holy angels will be with me. When he first came, there was just a small group of angels, but this time all the angels will be with him. I don't know about you, but I think that's impressive. I think that will impress all of us. Revelations 19, 14 tells us the armies of heaven will be following him. And I don't know about you, but that is a wow 
kind of situation. Second Thessalonians 1.7 tells us, the Lord will appear with burning fire from heaven and is with his powerful angels. So his second coming is gonna be so spectacular and so bright and so brilliant that the writer of Revelations likens it to burning fire in the heavenlies. And then Revelations 1.7 says, he will come in the clouds and every eye will see him. So nobody's going to miss uh, this second coming of the king. Okay, here's the fourth physical difference. The first time, only a few people honored him. Not everyone was able to honor him the, the first time, just the shepherds, some wise men, and nobody else. Most people were unaware that the Messiah had arrived on earth. But as Jesus grew, began his earthly ministry, most people did not believe he was the son of God in spite of all of his miracles, signs, and wonders. Only after the resurrection uh, did Jesus begin, his followers began to grow, grow more and more. After the resurrection, it went from thousands to millions to billions, and now there are billions of followers all over the earth following Jesus Christ. Now, now you can write this down. Er, next time, everyone will honor him. Romans 14.11 says, As surely as I am the living God, everyone will kneel before me and everyone will confess that I am God or Lord. So everyone will honor him. Uh, even agnostics and atheists will bow down and confess Jesus Christ is Lord and honor him. That means when the king returns the second time, every celebrity I want you to hear this. Every politician, every pro athlete, every global leader, every dictator, everybody who thinks they are somebody in the past, present, and future will kneel and bow down and say, Jesus is Lord. Man, we got to remember this. I love Christmas and the first coming, but remember, there was no room for him in the end, and there was no room for him in a lot of people's lives. The next time when our king returns, everybody will make room for him whether they want to or not. Now, those are the physical differences. Now, let me give you the next three points or what I would call the purposes of why Jesus came the first time and why Jesus is coming the second time. So write this down. The first time, Jesus came to save the world. The most famous verse in all the Bible is John 3.16 because it explains why Jesus came to earth at Christmas. John 3.16 and 17, let's read it together on the screen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it but to save it. So you need to see that that's the whole purpose. That's why we celebrate Christmas. And the very first Christmas, the angels come and announce to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy. So it's not bad news. It won't make you sad. You need to know in the town of Bethlehem, a Savior has been born for you. Now, you and I need to know King Jesus came and gave us Christmas because we all needed a Savior. It's the only way you and I are getting to heaven. So heaven is perfect, and you and I are not. If you think you are, ask your children, ask your friends, ask your mate, and they will tell you 
You are not. Some of you are looking at me like, well, I am. Uh, no, you're not. Now, if there was any other way to get us to heaven, Jesus would not have come to die on a cross. No father in his right mind would send his son to die for the human race if there was any other way. That's the difference between Christianity and all the other religions in the world. You and I can't even save ourselves. We can't even solve our own problems, much less our lives. All right, so God is God and you're not. And so a savior has been born to you and me and that's great news. Now, so he came the first time to save the world from our sins so we could know him, so we could love him, and so we could have fellowship with him and then go to heaven and live with him forever in eternity. Do you know what keeps people out of heaven? It's not sin. Well, it is sin, but really it's the sin of pride. It's people who say, no thanks God, I don't need a savior, I'm just gonna save myself. So let me ask you this question. How's that working for you? (laughs) Because people have rejected him uh, over and over again, but the next time he comes, you can write this down, he's coming not as a savior, but as a judge. He's coming to judge the world because of Christmas, the people who are going to be saved will have already been saved. But this time, our returning king is coming to judge the world. He's coming back to ask, Which of those two choices did you make? Did you put your trust in me or did you put your trust in yourself and what what the world had to offer? Did you choose to love me or not love me? Did you choose to live for me or yourself? When King Jesus returns, he will either be your savior or he will be your judge. It's your choice. Look at this verse, Acts 17, 31. God has set a day when the entire human race will be judged with justice and everything set right. And God has already appointed the judge concerning, uh, confirming him before everyone by raising him from the dead. So he's confirming Jesus Christ will be that judge. And so Jesus came to be our savior, but the next time he's coming to set everything right, he's coming to judge the world. He's not only a judge, but he's a God of justice, which means wrongs must be righted and evil must be punished. So here's a question. Why is there evil in the world? Let me just tell you, the most simple answer that I know of, God allows evil so people will have a choice. He allowed it. If you have no choice to, re- if, if you had no choice to reject God, uh, you couldn't say you really love God. You choose to love him. So one of the reasons God allows evil is to give everyone a choice to believe on him and in him and serve him or to go their own way and serve themselves. So God doesn't force anyone to love him. He loves you and because he loves you and he wants you to choose to love him back. That's what every parent wants. They get that little one and they go, oh, how sweet, how precious. And then they become teenagers and they go, this person is not sweet anymore. No, just saying, most of them are. So, uh, he will right all the wrongs. Romans 2, 6 through 8 says this, God will reward or punish every person for what that person has done. 
For those who have lived for God's glory and honor, God will reward them with life forever. But for those who continue to live for themselves and reject the truth and follow evil instead of obeying God, they will receive God's anger and punishment. And that's why, uh, and that's by choice. You chose to serve God or yourself. So the question is, when the king comes the second time, will he be your savior or will he be your judge? Now, some of you are thinking, I'm not sure if I'll be rewarded or punished. I mean, I, I put my trust in Christ, but, but I'm selfish. Uh, I do some dumb things. Well, welcome to the club. I just want you to know we all do that, 100% of us. Has anyone here done everything right in your life? Have you never had a bad thought? Yes, we've all had, might have, be having one right now. Might be wanting to go, I wish that pastor, I'd just like to stone that pastor right now. No, never, never done a bad thing. Well, anyway, we all know we are flawed and we all know we have blown it and we've all made mistakes. I've never met anyone in my life who's perfect. I've met some people who think they are perfect, but they're not, all right? Now, I just want you to know, I don't measure up much less to my own standards, let alone God's perfect standard. And some of you are thinking, well, I wonder what is going to happen to me. So the good news is, and you can settle that today at the end of this service and get right with God, all right? And uh, make him your savior and not your judge. Okay, here's the next purpose between the two comings. The first time Jesus came to die for our sins, uh, the first time Jesus came to die for our sins, this was the main purpose Jesus came at Christmas. He came to die for our sins, so I don't have to die for my own sins. You don't have to die for your sins. That's why he came. So King Jesus at Christmas says, I love you so much that I'm going to pay the penalty of your sins. I'm going to pay for your speeding ticket, basically. It reminds me of a story years ago of a guy driving down the freeway, and he's going really, uh, started out at the normal speed limit, but as he's realizing he's going to be late, he speeds up, gets to Monty. By the time he's in Elma, he's going like 75 miles an hour. And the stater pulls him over. And as he pulls him over, he comes to the car, says, license and registration, please. And he gives him to the guy. And then the guy, the stater says, so as he comes back, he goes, what do you do for a living? And I said, I'm a pastor. And he said, huh, what are you speaking on this week? And I said, grace. (laughs) And he said, have a good day, Mr. Cotton. Don't speed anymore. That's what you call grace. Thank God he he paid for my ticket. All right. So look at this verse, Ephesians 1.5. God's unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. So this verse is telling us he created the universe, and when he did, he, or before he created the universe, before he did, he thought about you and had a plan to bring you and me into his family. In other words, God wanted children in his family. 
He didn't want puppets. He didn't, he didn't want somebody that were forced to do it. He, he wanted kids who would choose to love him. So the first time he came to die for our sins and save us. The next time he's coming back to gather his family. And this is so important. Matthew 24, 31. He will send his angels all around the earth and they will gather his chosen people from every part of the world. So you guys need to know this. I've been in lots of countries and everywhere I go, when you meet believers, it's like you've known them all their lives. You just, you just, you connect because of the blood of Christ. So these angels will gather billions of people from all over the world who will be part of his family. So who's in God's family? Not everybody. Everybody's created by God. Everybody's loved by God. But it, and it doesn't matter what you've done. He still loves you and he created you. But God has, and you need to know this, God has a plan and a purpose for every person's life but not everyone chooses, to, chooses God's plan and purpose for their lives. Not everyone accepts him as their savior. So only those who put their face and trust in Jesus and his sacrifice for their sins get adopted into his family. You don't work for it. You don't deserve it. It's a free gift uh, of grace that uh, you have to accept. All right, so it's like today. If you were given a Christmas gift, a present, and a year from today, I say to you, how did you like the Christmas present I gave you last year? And you say, well, I'm sure it was great, but I didn't have time to open it or unwrap it. I just want you to know at Christmas, God gave every single person the gift of salvation. It's a gift of forgiveness, a gift of freedom, a gift of purpose. It's a gift of your past forgiven, a purpose for living, and a home in heaven. All right? Now, but if you don't unwrap it, he's coming back not as your savior, but as your judge. Look at this next verse, 2 Timothy 3.15. God's family is the church of the living God. See, Jesus told us in Matthew 16 that he came to build his church and in this world it may have all sorts of names like Lutherans, Methodists, Baptists, Episcopalians, Catholics, Presbyterians, uh, Pentecostals, whatever the label might be, it doesn't matter as long as those people have put their trust in Jesus Christ. Religion doesn't save you. Relationship with Jesus Christ is what saves you, and that's what God's family is all about. Now, I'm sure you've heard people say this. uh, Well, I like Jesus. I just don't need the church. Now, I just want you to know this is a wrong thought and a wrong conclusion because the, the, the only thing that's going to be in heaven is the church. So God's family is going to heaven, and if you're not in God's family, you're not going there. Maybe you have said, well, there are a bunch of hypocrites in the church. Listen, there are hypocrites everywhere. They're at Walmart, Safeway, the gas stations. Schools are full of them as well. Uh, Government's full of them. But did that stop you from going there? No. No, that's right. The truth is, I just want to be a saved hypocrite. Come on. Church is full of hypocrites. All right, yeah. Do you really want all of us to believe that you always do what you say you will do? Always? Never in your entire life did you say you would be someplace and then forget. Here's a fact. 
The reason we need a savior is because every one of us are hypocrites periodically. But the good news is God saves hypocrites. Truth is, they're all over, and I just want to be one of the saved hypocrites, all right? I want to be with the ones who admit they don't have it all together and not with the ones who don't admit they don't have it all together. Okay, here's the third purpose. The first time he came in humility. There's nothing more humbling than to be born as a baby in a barn when you're the creator of all mankind. He didn't come dressed in royal robes and chariots of fire. He didn't come with an army of angels. He, he, He came in ultimate humility. It's for God to become to me, it, it blows my mind that he became a man. He became one of us, the ones he created. Christmas shows us the coming of the humble king. Look at these verses, Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Though he was God, he made himself nothing, taking on the humble position of a servant and becoming a human. And while living as a man, he humbled himself even further uh, to obe- by obediently dying on a cross. So the first time he came in humility, but the next time you can write this down. He's coming back as king and lord of all. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Because he humbled himself, God has exalted Jesus to the highest place and given him the name that is above every other name. Now, have you ever noticed when people swear, they don't go, "Oh, Buddha, Oh, Muhammad, oh, oh, Thor, oh, Zeus. No, they use Jesus' name because there's power in the name and Satan wants to make it powerless in your life and he wants to make it common because when that name is used in power, demons flee. When that name is used in power, demons get cast out. When that name is used in power, diseases flee and bodies are healed. By that name, Satan wants to make it powerless in your life. So the next time you hit your thumb with a hammer, I suggest you use your own name. Oh, Lois. Oh, Paul. Oh, Doug, whatever it might be. Let's read this verse again. Because he humbled himself, God has exalted Jesus to the highest place and given him the name that is above every other name so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. So our king, our king came in humility the first time, but he's returning with power and authority. He's coming back as king of kings and lord of lords. Now, how do I get ready for the king? Write this down. Live for Jesus looking forward. Live with a sense of expectation. I, I, I think, you know, I, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, man, Christmas morning was the day. Because you just had this, I, I can't wait to see what Santa Claus brought me. And you get up and you run to the tree and you were either full of excitement or disappointment, depending on what you hoped you would get. But I want you to know this. You live with a sense of expectation because there's greater 
coming back than Christmas, and that's Jesus Christ. So live with a sense of hope. Live with a sense that no matter what happens in your life, you know the end of the story, and Jesus is coming back to to save your life because you put your trust in him. We are to live our lives like he can come back at any moment, but prepare as though it could be a 1,000 years from now. Matthew 25, 13, it's not in your notes, but it says this, you must stay prepared and be ready because you don't know the day or the hour when I will come back. So there are some things that you and I can't plan for, uh, but I, and one of them is that Jesus returns. So we need to live for Jesus looking forward every day. Let me give you a couple of verses that I want to close with. Titus 2, 12 through 13. God's grace shows us how to say no. So God's grace is not just favor, it's empowerment. And he gives you the grace to say no to the godless, self-centered, and self-destructive ways the world lives. Instead, God's grace empowers us to live a wise, self-controlled, and God-honoring life while we look forward with great hope for the coming of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, when his great glory will be revealed to everyone, all right, to all. So I just want you to know you need to look forward to his grace and live in his grace. Philippians 3, 20 through 21. This is not on your notes, I don't think, but listen to this. But our citizenship or our homeland is in heaven, and we eagerly await looking forward to a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the, power, uh, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And the older we get, the more we're looking forward to that one. You young people don't have a clue yet, but you will. So listen, I want to live forever, just not here. I want to live where there's no more tears, no more sorrow, no more stress, and no more sickness. That's what we were created to live like. By the way, Jesus taught, Jesus taught a sermon in Luke 12. I call it the worry-free chapter. And if you, you're full of worry and stress and all that, I just want you to know, verse 38, or right in there it says, if you understand his second coming, you don't need to worry because you know how the story ends. Some of you might be thinking then, why doesn't he come back? What's taking him so long? It's been over 2,000 years. What's he waiting for? Well, it's because he's still building his family and he wants you in it. If Jesus had come back 100 years ago, you wouldn't have been born. There wouldn't be no possibility for you to go to heaven. You and I should be grateful he hasn't come back because he's been waiting for you because you were planned. Now he's waiting for you to accept his death and his resurrection into your life. By the way, you're not waiting on him. He's waiting on you. Look at this verse, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord isn't being slow in keeping his promise to return. Instead, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to perish, so he's giving more time for everyone to repent. That's why he hasn't come back yet. He's waiting on you to say yes to him. Let's stand. I hope this helps you, and I hope it helps you to talk to other people during this Christmas season. Christmas is great.
but there's a greater return of the King that's coming into our lives. Now, in a lot of what you've heard today, let me ask you a couple of questions. What are you going to, what are you going to live your, the rest of your life for? Knowing that how history is going to end and what are, what are you going to live your life for in, in light of that? Are you going to live for short-term values like pre- pleasure, possessions, positions, popularity, power? Or are you going to live in light of eternity with a long-term perspective, knowing this life is just the warm-up act for the next stage, which is eternity? What are you betting your life on? How many more Christmases are you going to go through before you accept the gift he brought to you at Christmas, the gift of salvation? Okay, with every head bowed, every eye closed. Today's your opportunity. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand in just a moment. If you're coming back to Christ or giving your life to Jesus for the first time, but today's your day to get your past forgiven get a purpose for living, and go home to heaven down the road. So I want to invite you to do that. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, like I said, because today you know the Holy Spirit has been talking to you and saying, today is your day. So if that's you this morning, raise your hand boldly right now. Say, that's me. I need Jesus in my life. Keep them high. Don't hold it back. I see one, two, three. There's more I didn't see and I missed it. All right, now here's what we're going to do. Everybody pray this prayer together because you're not only getting Jesus as your Savior, you're coming to the family of God. So this is by faith. You believe it in your heart, you confess it with your mouth. Say this with me. Father God, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to die in my place. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me all my sins, all my mistakes, and all my failures. Come into my life. Be my Savior, my Lord, my boss, my friend, and my King. And by your grace and by your power, I will serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, Amen. All right. Now, if you gave your life to Jesus, you need to get baptized in water. We can do that third service today if you're interested in that. Get involved in a fresh start. If you need prayer for anything, prayer people, come on up. They'll pray for you. Otherwise, we're going to dismiss. God bless you guys. Have a great day. See you next week.